It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is a it is a sleepy Sunday morning down the northern end of the New Jersey shore, and uh, I'm hungover, guys. But it is what it is, right? We have to do an episode. The people need an episode. That's what we were told. All right. <laughs> so of course we are at a shared universe studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Uh, who's behind the ones and twos? None other oh, than yeah. ha, 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 ha. <laughs> the big Kahuna people. The big Kahuna, who unfortunately his mother referred to him as the big Kahuna the other day. That's how we know. Yeah, you will no longer be known as Christian. No, <laughs> That's right. the name change is coming. That's it. <laughs> um, new Delta Chi name is Kahuna. That's it. <laughs> big, big Kahuna. Well, we uh, we had a guy at work at a, at a public sewer, my uh, day job. Um, that uh, new guy showed up and. He gave us his name. It was like too plain. Like his name is Andrew, but he, he goes, uh, we called him Andy. And he goes, he goes, no, it's, you know, it's not Andy. It's Andrew. So instead of calling him Andrew now, we just call him Catfish. That's <laughs> <laughs> so the way you got to work that stuff, man. But hey, uh, He brought it on himself. It's true. And uh, a quick shout out to my boys over at Public Sewer. I miss you fellas, okay? You know, it's my last two weeks of that company, so I got to be good. That's <laughs> you need to behave. I tell them that every week, by the way. So that's not a, that's nothing new. <laughs> that's the standard routine. Yeah. If you guys get the show, uh, if you're a regular listener, I'm very happy. We got a very fun episode here today. We got a couple of great guests. Uh, if you don't understand the show, this is your first time listening. What we do is we take uh, the stories of the biggest losers in American history. We got a special loser today, um, and our historical reference point is uh, my handsome Dilf of a dad, Larry Burke. How are you, LP? Oh, we're doing just wonderful. Where else would I rather be on an early Sunday morning? <laughs> it's the worst. Well, I've been at Uncle Vinny's all weekend uh, with uh, my buddy Chris Stefano, who is uh, – goddamn, that guy's funny. All right, just – he sold out both shows on the weekend. My buddy Chris Johnson was there Wednesday, Thursday. So every night this week I've been able to do uh, comedy over at Uncle Vinny's. Uh, great club. You know, support that club if you can, man. But, um, and where is Uncle Vinny's? Point Pleasant. New Jersey. There you go. And uh, keep uh, keep your ears to the floor, guys, because uh, I got a big announcement for that club coming in April. So, um, but that being said, uh, last night uh, a certain uh, redheaded Armenian Puerto Rican boy <laughs> that I may or may not have grown up narrow with. It down. Right, there's a blend <laughs> yeah. that I may or may not have grown up with my entire life. Uh, cousin Jonathan is in the studio today. Yeah, How are you, cousin? Dinner, buddy. Yeah, I'm doing good. Good what morning. Your, good morning. Good what morning. Was your DJ name? Afternoon yet? Uh, Red. DJ Red? Yeah, or the on-air uh, name was Johnny P. So, <laughs> Johnny used to do uh, hip-hop radio for what, William Patterson? Yeah, William Patterson. Yeah. Brave New Radio. Right. <laughs> Bra- <laughs> so, he's a regular here. Uh, and we're going to bring him on. John's a smart guy, and he wanted to do uh, – he wanted to come in and do research, Kahuna. He really did. But – you know, it's it was just too convenient to bring him in at this one particular juncture. So, okay. uh, I'm still riding the high of the weekend uh, full of shows. Everything's good to go on that. Uh, LP, we have a good one today, don't we? We do, we do, absolutely. All right, a little known uh, American loser, but he's right up there with all he's the, quite the, the, loser. the other American losers. Well, one of my favorite my favorite episode in terms of research that we did, where it was like your jaw just hits the ground doing the research, was uh, I think Kahuna's favorite too, uh, Charles J. Gateau. 
So he's the best. <laughs> so. See, now I'm excited because I because the way that this whole place is situated is that we sit at a giant table. So I glance <laughs> over people, see what they got, and I just see his article research with the headline "Crime Museum." So now I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be an interesting one. Oh, it's a yeah, good. Yeah, I always do old school and actually print shit out. But no, it's good because if you don't print those out, we have nothing for you to rustle into the microphone. Absolutely, so. <laughs> we got to keep the signature sound. Going, it's all people. part of the ambiance. <laughs> well, uh, I'm excited here. So uh, now, this I thought was interesting. So as we get into today's topic, this guy's going to be – he's one of our all-time losers for sure just in terms of – because there's sometimes on the show where we do a loser who's really more so interesting and not like a loser in the traditional sense. Like they weren't getting shoved into a locker. This guy is the kind of guy you want to shove into a locker. Ah. Like he's the kind of guy that at a party you're just like, dude, can you just learn to be cool? Do you understand how to hang out? Yeah. <laughs> Shotgun a beer, damn it. Yeah, that's uh, 90% of it here. But uh, So I'll put it to you guys this way. Uh, a lot of times after uh, shows at comedy clubs, the clubs want you to shake hands with people afterwards. Right? It's a good time, actually. I get to plug my podcast. People say they want to follow you on social media. And we're all narcissists in the, the comedy world. So uh, we're self-loathing narcissists. But uh, the only way that we can feel okay about ourselves is if, like, literally uh, strangers tell us we were great. That's how it has to work. That, that's the low opinion we have of ourselves. So when you're shaking all these hands, uh, you know, it can be overwhelming at times. So uh, this one guy uh, who happened to be uh, kind of similar, he was uh, the word affable gets used to describe him all the time. President William McKinley. Okay. Okay. So you ever hear him, Kahuna? Oh, yeah. All right. Now, off the top of your head, uh, Cousin Jonathan, mm. and you're a smart guy, and this is a good trivia question. So if you don't get it right, it's not an indictment on you. Um, <laughs> There's a lead in, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many presidents throughout the course of the history of the United States have been assassinated? Mm. I, I think it's four. It is four. You're okay. correct. Can, now, how far into this can you get? Now, go down the list. There's a couple, two obvious ones up yeah, front. Yeah, uh, JFK and, and Lincoln. Okay, JFK yeah. and Lincoln. And then uh, we covered in an earlier episode James A. Garfield. Okay. Yeah, who, yeah. Garfield, New Jersey is named Garfield, after. Garfield, New Jersey. So, and we're going to get to uh, the final guy here today, which is our boy McKinley. Okay. So that's the four in office. So we already know that he gets assassinated. So we're going to give away the – we're going to do this like a Tarantino movie. Damn it. You took the fucking <laughs> word out of my mouth too. Like I was so ready. Oh, it's Pulp Fiction up in this bitch. It's, uh, it really is. It really is. It's um, it, it's kind of crazy. But uh, this is a great story, man. So uh, McKinley loved meeting people uh, and he wanted to sh – like he had this method that he used to do where when he would work a crowd, if people would come to meet him, he would shake their hand. And during his handshake, he would literally shake your hand as he pulled you past him to get to the next person. Right. Keep the, keep the line moving. Yeah. He, he had a whole methodology to the whole thing. Exactly. Does he uh, look like a he bitch? Was, he was trying to press the flesh, you know, uh, shaking hands and kissing babies. Well, he was a big shaking the hands guy. And uh, he would literally pull you across the, the receiving line, if you will, to keep the line moving to the, to the next uh, man of the, you know, the people. Well, he was, uh, he was very popular around the time of his second term. Which is weird because uh, when he was heading into office, um, his whole story is wild. So we're going to lead up to this. But uh, the strategy of shaking hands, like you said, LP, uh, it works really well for him until a certain day known as uh, September 6, 1901, uh, when President McKinley was visiting the Temple of Music in Buffalo, New York. You ever been to Buffalo, Jonathan? Yeah, I have. Is it, uh, yeah. is it eventful? 
Um, only on Labor Day weekend when they have Wing Fest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that does sound good, actually. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just uh, you know people throwing each other through tables for, for they're, Buffalo. They're Bills good games. that way. <laughs> they are the best, yeah. man. They really are. And the the quarterback they have now, Josh Allen, is going to give them a lot of reasons to ruin a lot of tables. So, but uh, yeah, so they have this. Uh, September 6, 1901, McKinley is visiting the Temple of Music in Buffalo, uh, New York uh, during the Pan-American Exposition. It was a big fair kind of type atmosphere, you know what I mean? Just like the church, the Armenian church. It was, uh, it was kind of like a world's fair kind uh-huh. of thing that the United States is now uh, exhibiting all of their latest and greatest. And, you know, we're entering oh, into the... Uh, the next century, and we got electricity that's being powered by oh, yeah. a lot of modern stations. marvels. Uh, like also, that. those handshakes he was doing—he was just prepping for Comic Con back then. Okay, <laughs> that's it. you're not wrong. It's it, it has a Comic Con vibe. There's lots of people here, like you were saying, Dad. Um, and uh, like you said, there's uh, fireworks, uh, displays, modern marvels, a lot of patriotism at this thing. Patriotism is becoming huge here. We're getting—we're finally for the first time uh, in the you know the early, literally 1900s. Um, starting to get a sense of nationalism that we're all one country together as opposed to you know literally 40 years earlier when all the little city states went to war with each other in the civil war so there's a sense of unity building in the country it's kind of cool but uh it uh it works so, we're also coming off the the spanish-american war victory so i mean uh, oh yeah it you is. know we're, we're kicking ass and we're uh kicking the ass of uh an old world what at one time power of, of spain and, uh, you know, we're kicking ass and taking names. Well, we're going to get to a, a certain name that is a recurring theme on the show here later. Yeah. comes in, but uh, Captain America himself. But yep. uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool here. McKinley is on top of the world at this time, by the way. This is 1901. So we're going to go. We're telling a little bit of the backstory here. So McKinley's on top of the world this time. He is fresh off re-election. He, uh, he just defeated in the second election in a row. Former American loser. Possibly my favorite loser, William Jennings Bryan. Okay, so that's two times in a row he was able to defeat him here. Hotly contested election. Um, LP, I'm going to throw you here in a second for this one because America under his uh, presidency, you know, under McKinley's presidency is rising to uh, world power status, like you said. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some of the things we got going on? So we just won the Spanish-American War. We kicked the crap out of Spain. All right, we won the Spanish-American War. Um, Again, we're kind of celebrating all of our modern marvels. The whole thing is being uh, electrified. This whole exposition is being electrified by... Hydroelectric power coming off of Niagara Falls. So this new modern marvel of electricity is uh, wowing the crowd. There's all kinds of pyrotechnics going on to announce that uh, on the world stage. Yeah, America is now entering into the the modern world, if you will, and the, the whole expansion uh, going out west. And uh, you know, we we've uh, taken land from Mexico. We've taken land from the Spanish. Uh, we're just we're just up and coming, man. We're 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 it. It's like when um when a young fighter is coming on, and it's a uh, they set up uh, a couple of fights for him that they know the guy's going to win, but it should be a good fight so he can prove himself. Spain gave us a, like they they were a declining power, but they gave us a little bit of a run, so we made our way through that, man. Now, one interesting thing here too is that uh, there's a lot of people that liked McKinley, okay, but he was kind of a no name for his first um, go around. He was the governor of Ohio. He was known as a very smart uh, money man. That was his big uh, claim to fame. 
Uh, I mean, who gives a fuck about Ohio? So that's probably why. <laughs> we have <laughs> listeners in Ohio, Cone. <laughs> Bye, listeners in Ohio. See you later. So, I need you. Unless the only way we can afford to lose the Ohio listeners is if our listeners in Pretoria, South Africa, go ahead and get there. <laughs> if Increased. they can tell their, yeah, tell their friends about a showdown. There Increase the listenership in South Africa. Well, uh, here's a weird thing. So, um, McKinley is is essentially run for president. He doesn't run for president. He gets run for president. Right. So uh, there's a cigar smoke-filled room, you know, just kind of like a, a nice night down at uh, 206 in Belmar. Yeah. We're sitting on the front porch, you know, <laughs> me and Jonathan sitting out there smoking cigars, watching the people. So who's going to run the country? Right now. <laughs> Let's decide who's going to be. Yeah. Who's at least. Uh, gonna... I'm liking this McKinley bar. <laughs> he seems cool. You're not Let's too put, far off. He Let's can put be him con- in office. Yeah. Not that he seems cool. I think he can be controlled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a, a thing that goes on right before this election that kind of shakes everything up. So the very first episode episode of American Loser, we covered uh, Grover Cleveland, who is considered one of the better presidents in American history, whose legacy is tainted because towards the end of his, if you remember, he had two terms. He served, uh, he's the only president ever served non-consecutive terms. So uh, in the time that he was uh, not in office before he was able to reclaim his throne, if you will, this guy, Benjamin Harrison, kind of fucked a lot of shit up. Yeah. So... One of the things that he fucked up led to Grover Cleveland taking the blame for a little thing known as the Panic of 1893. LP, what in a nutshell is the Panic of 1893? Well, it was a, a stock market crash where a lot of the big money people were, were controlling really the stock market and things went into a downslide, put you know a lot of people, you know, estimates of 20 to 30 percent of the people are now out of work. So, you know, you got that amount, that percentage of unemployment. Things are not yeah. real good. There's a lot of people. And then there's a whole um, back and forth between the gold standard and the silver standard. And It's called bimetallism. Yeah. Economic uh, – the economic times were not real good. And at the same time, uh, you know, the big money is still making money and the little people are taking it in the, in the neck. Well, it was not a good time. We covered uh, some of the causes of that for Grover Cleveland's episode because he gets blamed for it, but it ain't his fault. So now you got uh, McKinley's going to come into office here, uh, but there's a reformer, a young reformer by the name of William Jennings Bryan, as we uh, mentioned earlier, who is uh, just gearing up the common folk. He's a a big fan of free silver, okay? And he's sitting there and he's making these great speeches about uh, how he's going to take down uh, Carnegie and Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan, who decide in this smoke-filled room, you know, uh, Jonathan and I are watching drunk people stumble home in Belmar. These guys are deciding who's going to run the free world. Yeah, big difference. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little different smoke-filled yeah. room. But. So uh, these guys, they wind up, uh, they agree that McKinley, this governor from Ohio, who's a smart, he, he's actually a good guy. He, he's well thought of in Ohio. Um, and when you can get, uh, there's an appeal to the Midwest, you know what I mean? There was just the, the plain folks kind of a thing they do. But uh, they get, uh, they decide they're going to back him. They literally outspend uh, William Jennings Bryan's campaign four to one. So when you get big business backing you here, like we are one. The second that like – I'm trying to think of like a big corporation. The second that Tesla decides to sponsor this podcast, we are just going to shit on anything that's not Tesla. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, plus big business is also controlling the newspapers or the media at the time. That was the media source to where everybody's getting their information from. So if you're controlling the newspapers – um, you're you're controlling the media, so you know the the fake news thing is 
uh, not anything new by today's standards. It's just a new name for it. It's just a new name for it, right. So, Jonathan, I don't want to say what you do, but you're, you work in, uh, let's say, you stack dollar bills for a living, <laughs> okay? And you do it in a certain island in the middle of, you know, it's in between Brooklyn and Queens and New Jersey, all right? A little sliver. <laughs> you're right. Some big buildings over there. So, Small place. Yeah. So, what if there's one little restaurant on this island of Manhattan, we'll call it, Um where literally everyone is having uh, dinner together. It's a dinner club that everyone who runs the entire country all hangs out at. So these guys are going to go around. Uh, they're going to explain to William Randolph Hearst that he's to run another former loser. Uh, he's to run articles uh, smearing William Jennings Bryan. They start smearing the great commoner. But uh, William Jennings Bryan is interesting, as we covered in his episode. This guy travels around the country. It's the first like crazy tour for a political election. He's on a train. Campaign tour, right? He is just like nonstop campaigning. Like, you know, uh, you you can – it's again, this is not a political show, but uh, Trump's uh, just showing up in a plane for 20 minutes to land in Pennsylvania to go fly to Wisconsin. That was nuts. But all that is inspired uh, by William Jennings Bryan getting on a train and just aggressively campaigning because he knew that he could draw a crowd wherever he went. He was a headliner, all right? It's like like Springsteen coming to town in the 80s. So – but they knew it was going to be good to go with that. And – as they're ripping through um, all these uh, tours and everything, I thought it was interesting that McKinley, who uh, decides he's going to run a front porch campaign instead. So in Canton, Ohio, he just walks outside to his front porch and speaks to the the media when they come to interview him. So if people want to see the potential, you know, next president of the United States, you got to come to Ohio. Just ring his doorbell. Right. Be like, yo, what's up? So what's going to work in in theory? All right, because uh, Jonathan, what's what's bigger? You're Someday I want to have enough money for me to be able to uh, have you manage it. We talked about this. <laughs> right, right. Um, but what would you advise me to do uh, as a comedian? If I said I wanted to go on tour and go around the entire country and possibly you know, other countries you know, uh, to tour and, and spread the word about my comedy, or should I walk outside my parents' house in Wayne, New Jersey and do comedy <laughs> off the front porch there you go. to whoever might be out in the front yard that day? To what all the middle you, school kids that might be walking <laughs> up the street. <laughs> what would you suggest? I, I think you'd be arrested by the end of the day if you did that in Wayne. Uh, and you should get your butt on the road. Uh, you're absolutely right on that one. Oddly, guess what? It worked. So McKinley had the financial backing. He had a lot of appeal from people, too. The good people of Ohio liked him. He was their governor. He wins the election. So uh, in his first term, McKinley becomes actually popular for the first time. He's barely popular. Everybody wanted William Jennings Bryan, but they kind of rigged the election, if you will. But uh, he winds up being a pretty good choice, okay? Uh, he has uh, he's a popular stance on American interventionism. Uh, you know what that is, right, LP? No, you can go ahead with that. America's sticking their nose in where it doesn't belong. Yeah, we start looking around the world here. Now, it starts off innocent enough because there's this little uh, island of Cuba that we've had our eye on since Thomas Jefferson, okay? Uh, there's also an island of Puerto Rico, which would eventually give us Cousin Jonathan. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> and also on the far side of the world, we've now, because of the uh, the victory in Cuba, um, we now have uh, an interest in the Philippines, so... Well, the Philippines are fascinating because they're they're wonderful people. They love the navy, um, and they're they're great Americans. Uh, but I thought, like, like when they come to America, is what I'm trying to say. They all join the military. That's like their big thing. There's the Filipino mafia in the navy. But um, I thought it was also the food is fantastic. But uh, a friend of mine had a joke that he used to do in his act. He was Filipino, and he says uh, the the history of uh, there's no revolution to free the Philippines. People just decide they're done here. <laughs> so. 
Because, man, it rains a lot. But uh, so anyway, we do uh, bring the, the Philippines in. Philippines is where we get our asses kicked, by the way, because we the, the victory in Cuba against Spain, nonstop victory. Uh, the Philippines, a lot of American yeah, boys was, getting killed over there. Yep. So uh, another little island we decide that we're going to uh, allow the honor of statehood to is uh, Queen Lili Yukalani's Hawaii. Okay. <laughs> we decided we're going to take that one. That was, to me, that was a heartbreaker of an episode because I actually felt bad for her when we did that one. But uh, it doesn't happen often. No. It's, it's sometimes when we go through it, we're like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, she there ended up more. losing, but it was a sympathetic loser. Yeah, she, uh, she lost her entire kingdom to a banana company. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, listen, it hurts me as much as it hurts you to push you into this locker, okay? <laughs> doing this for your own good so um but he was interesting so uh we were able to annex hawaii and then also uh, another big thing for mckinley was he would kind of ride the middle ground they called it riding the rail uh because he would never come down in favor of either free silver or the gold standard so that's the hot issue of the day you know it's almost like uh, today it's like it's like guns and uh, uh a lot of stuff for healthcare and everything those are the big issues of today back then it was are we going to be a free silver country we're going to be a gold standard country and mckinley was like well you know i think we should have a gold standard but we should also implement free silver see how he says classic politician yeah. right? so well there's a reason he gets the job man but uh he's also able to counter the uh, the youthful uh uh william dings Bryant. he goes ahead and he wins this election uh pretty pretty happy guy here big businesses you know they're backing him up in new york city he's got a uh a very pro-business attitude which after an economic panic you want businessmen to feel okay about investing right jonathan that's how yeah. that works yeah. so and the manufacturers well yeah who gets a tighter butthole than big business when the economy is <laughs> in a downturn they're like oh it's over we got to move to stockholm right so. we're not investing anything we're not doing anything we're not hiring or anything else so in a, in a booming economy, then things start happening and everybody benefits. Exactly. So now the, the harshness of the times for the panic of 1893, uh, that, that does strike everybody. Would you say 20, 30 percent of the population was like Yeah, de depending on what section of the country you're talking to. But, I mean, it, it, it hit everybody. It wasn't just manufacturing. It was across the country. It's, uh, well, it's brutal, man. It's, uh, it's interesting, too, because the uh, – immigrants are pouring into this nation for a better life that then we're not able to give them so it's right. it's kind of a wild thing here um now the intellectual contagion known as uh, anarchism is swelling throughout uh, the globe at this point um just briefly lp just briefly, <laughs> briefly. i'll give give it my best what is anarchism anarchism is uh an ideology or an idea that um there is no good government. There shouldn't be anything. So we should destroy everything that resembles any kind of a government. And this was going on. I'm on board at first, but I feel like you're going to lose me later. <laughs> <laughs> that um, um, it's just everybody should decide for themselves as to uh, which way we should be going here. And there is no government. And then to take it even a step further, some of the more radical anarchists was anybody that's in a leadership position, whether it's in the financial affairs, whether it's in you know politicians, governmental affairs, or whatever, uh, we should actually eliminate them. And when I say eliminate, I mean we're not going to see them anymore. 
Yes, well, it comes from the, uh, the, the Russian idea that uh, we no longer need your services. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and when you said Russia, too, a, a lot of that really uh, had its uh, start in Russia with the Russian Revolution. and well, Which hasn't happened yet. Has, hadn't, has not yet time, happened, yeah, but at this you time, know, it's things are not good. Again, it's the haves and the have-nots that when you have a very small percentage of the people that really there's there's no middle class it's either you're wealthy or you're you're um hand to hand to fist kind of hand to uh, face kind of a thing hand to mouth that's the word yeah. i'm that's the well, phrase i'm uh, looking for but i'm going to say the haves and the have nots <laughs> yeah. i'm going to say a lot of it is the haves and the have nots which i thought was uh now you're right dad the russian revolution has not happened yet but the french revolution happened shortly after the american revolution and they were kind of anarchists where they were like, well, why are we listening to – that was the toppling of the monarchy, which uh, I'm not saying that France sucks, okay? <laughs> I am saying you did your revolution wrong. When your revolution ends in something known as – you start off great. Like it's a revolution. We're going to have the government by the people. We're going to overthrow the monarchy. When your revolution that's well-intentioned ends in something known as the reign of terror <laughs> – I don't yeah, think you did a good job. Okay, so and all and, the guys that started the revolution are now being executed as well. So, yeah, I mean, the guys who started the revolution, yeah, they they killed the king and gained some power. But then, you know, amongst the the commoners, if you will, then we're fighting amongst ourselves and we're killing the guys that actually started the. Yeah, well, there's a guy Robespierre, Maximilian Robespierre, that was always hilarious too. Which uh, it, it doesn't quite fit in here, but it, it's the I'm using this as a reference point for like the idiocy of uh, anarchy in a lot of these ways. There's some interesting points. You, you do want to think about, do we need a government? Do we need this? Do we, like, Are we going to change? It's like Ron Paul used to say, always made me laugh, that uh, he would say that uh, you don't need laws against heroin. People just don't want to do heroin. You know, <laughs> like, uh, He used to get an applause in South Carolina when he would do that, but it always <laughs> made me laugh. Um, but yeah, the whole thing with the French Revolution that would uh, amuse me was that uh, they would say, um, yeah, no one should rule us. Uh, all right, but I'm in charge now, guys. <laughs> right. That's right. kind of how they would work that one. So, uh, But, yeah, so in this uh, this panic of 1893, people are – the working class is uh, – they got legitimate gripes, man. Okay? I'm not – you know, I work with a lot of union guys. Uh, I know a lot of buddies who are in unions now and stuff like that. And this isn't quite the Molly Maguires killing their bosses. But, you know, th this is kind of the time frame. Everybody's hurting. So, And it's not just the United States, too. I mean, that, that panic of 1893 was in this country, but it was a worldwide kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it was a global global issue, a global financial downturn. How's that? Yeah, so now all these immigrants are coming over here, and they're wanting to put in the effort and the work, but they're not getting a fair shake. So it's you can feel bad for them on this one here. So, um, well, between uh, his own experience, because, by the way, some of the famous anarchists, uh, another uh, former set of American losers, Sacco and Vanzetti, were also anarchists. Right. So that I mean, and again, this anarchism is a, a worldwide situation. It's uh, it's in Russia, it's in Italy, it's in England, it's in the United States. I mean, it's worldwide. It's it's not just uh, here in the United States. Absolutely. But now you have a lot of these anarchists from foreign countries that are emigrating to the United States, and uh, you know the, the word is spreading. It's it's a growing uh, feeling amongst the. The common folk that the best thing to do here is just to get rid of it, anything that smacks of government. Oh, yeah. That, that's always their, their big fix is they're like, well, you know, there's a tiny flaw in the system, so we better get rid of everything. Yeah, these guys are assholes. Start all over again. Um, well, there's a guy uh, 
guy from Poland who uh, is he's a first generation American, right? His parents come over from Poland, and uh, I work with Polish people. Let me tell you, the stereotypes about them are the stereotypes. They're true. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm teasing, man. Uh, I work with a lot of great guys from Poland, but uh, they, I'm gonna, I should have asked one of them to help me pronounce this guy's name, but I, I had to sound it out phonetically. A guy by the name of Leon Sholgosh. How's that sound, LP? Cholgosh, yeah. That's, that's, what I, that's what I came up with. At least that's the, angle, <laughs> yeah. the anglicized version of it. We're going to do it in a Polish accent, too, where it's like, hello, my name is Leon Sholgosh. Hello. Uh, <laughs> why did I become Borat? That's not good. Um <laughs> Well, this guy, uh, Leon Sholgosh, is becoming fixated on the divide between labor and wealth in America, so the haves and the have-nots. Um, Leon is a first-generation American born to Polish immigrants in a beautiful and stable Detroit, Michigan. Have you been to Detroit, Jonathan? I have. I have. Is a few it, times. Is it like I hear? What do you hear? Well, <laughs> well I've been well, told I mean, it's uh, rivers of chocolate, uh, Oompa Loompas. You know. uh, it, it's it's Willy Wonka's I, state. I mean, yeah. I don't know about that, but you should definitely check out Greek Town. <laughs> oh, okay. see, here's what I've heard. I've heard there's really nice parts of Detroit. Yeah, yeah. But there's also parts of Detroit where you need a police escort to get home. Come after with me. Yeah, but we can, we can get <laughs> in the world of a poorly crumbling ghetto. Yeah. What? <laughs> You can go 20 minutes from here and say the same thing, right? Uh, it, uh, well played. Well yeah. played. Way, yeah. to, way to shit on everyone. <laughs> way to make us all feel worse about ourselves, Jonathan. That's right. No matter where you live, you got a cesspool in your backyard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, well, no, no, I mean, you're also you're comparing Detroit 2019 versus Detroit of uh, 1901. So, uh, yeah, yeah, lots of things have happened. There's you know all sorts of new advancements in crime. Uh, I'm teasing. Detroit's a wonderful, beautiful place. Um, but uh, his family's moving around all the time, Mr. Uh, Leon Sholgosh. So uh, his family's moving around the Midwest, bopping around here. Um, he even actually spends a little bit of time in the state of Ohio. So he's actually working in a factory in Cleveland and loses his job uh, during the Panic of 1893. So it's interesting to me that he's losing his job. He's actually in the state that McKinley's a governor of. So Yeah, and I th- it- at the time, he's working, uh, I think, in the steel industry, and he's really got a good job because he's got a job that's paying a whopping four dollars a day, which is higher than uh, than most people would be, you know, seeking a job like that. But then he loses that job because um, the workers have a strike, which is illegal. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, labor unions are illegal. Um, the strike is busted up. Everybody is fired. So now he's out of work. So he went from having a decent job to having no job and can't find work. He's also a, a bit of a loner. He's he's out there. Um, Very smart, though. Everybody that talks about him, they always say that he was always reading stuff like this. Whenever you see someone reading, uh, it, you know what they say in New York? If you see something, say something. If you see someone reading, realize that they're an anarchist and they're trying to kill the president. <laughs> So, <laughs> there you go. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but let me know when you got your info ready, LP. But now uh, I have a question: Was this the type? Was this the the trench coat wearer in high school type dude, or would you just say he was more the library well, secluded? When you were growing up as a kid, who had you know the anarchy symbol, the A, with, yeah, uh, the, yeah. uh, like who was wearing that? It was never a happy guy. All right, <laughs> it was never a well-adjusted kid. You know. Oh no! The kid we used to make fun of for wearing that. His name was uh, well, I, I don't want to say his actual name to make fun of, him, but let's just say uh, his name was Arian, and uh, you know he took his parents' divorce out on all of us very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, but uh, he was. Uh, I feel like I feel like that guy wore too many belts. 
<laughs> uh, oh, you, it's so accurate it hurts that's what was uh, that's what was upsetting yeah. about that yeah I mean, and i think uh, one of the points um from what i've been reading is that his mother dies at an early age in childbirth and but then his father remarries he's got a stepmother now then they don't quite get along either and he's pretty much a, a recluse that he's not getting along with anybody he really has no uh, social skills but he would go up into the attic and do a lot of reading on his own and uh, starts to get involved with this whole anarchy movement and is inspired if you will with this this whole thing because i mean he i had a job i lost a job um strikes were both illegal and dangerous because back then it wasn't just somebody walking around the the block carrying a picket sign and maybe inflating a big giant rat mm -hmm. um uh, this was when the cops were called in and or a private police force that was hired by the by the factory owner would come in and start busting heads to uh you don't want the job they beat the shit out of you and then hire somebody else to take yeah, they'd, place. they'd go find a guy roughing somebody up down by the docks and say have you ever thought about a career in law enforcement <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go criminal um, justice system he's a criminal justice major that's it <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything john or no you look like you had some. Uh, you, no, you're, no, no. I wish I took notes. You hop in whenever, dude. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, we brought you in blind here, so I know you're learning the story as we go. But uh, so, uh, to LP's point, anarchism is—it's uh, becoming a problem. All right. There's first of all, there's bombings nonstop. There's the Haymarket bombing in Chicago, um, which was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Wild, wild shit. There's bombings all the time here. Where, uh, like, uh, I'm not—I don't want to make a comparison because I don't think that it's—it's um, it, truly genuine. But. Um, it's not disingenuous to say that uh, that was a problem for the day the same way that maybe like school shootings are a thing where everybody's outraged by it and we got to do something to stop this. So the uh, New York Court of Appeals actually in 1901 makes the act of declaring yourself an anarchist a breach of the peace. So that can start to become an arrestable offense. They want to round these people up there. Now, it's crazy too because the, the true form anarchists, it's a lot of uh, times where you have the, the fringe of a movement is the bad people. Uh, anarchism has a lot of bad people, don't get me wrong. But uh, there's one woman who was uh, the head of anarchism, literally the first lady of anarchism, named Emma Goldman. Now, uh, Kahuna, I know we, we're not in our regular studio here, we're next door, but um, if you were to bring up a photo of Emma Goldman, you would see... Uh, Let's let's not. <laughs> how do I say this? Not not a physically pleasing woman. <laughs> in yeah, she's a uh, she's a little rough around the edges. So yeah, her, her eyes. She has one of those old set of eyes that stares through you in a black and white photo. Where if they zoomed in on it late at night, you would turn the TV off and run away. <laughs> so let's find it. An, an, immig an immigrant herself uh, from Russia. Yeah. Um, oh, is that the but, beautiful you know, Russia. Let's come over here and bring some of those great ideas to had the audacity to speak uh, on behalf of the whole anarchist movement. I mean, she had some into the microphone LP. You're turning your head. She to see had the uh, some wacky ideas like uh, um, birth control and women's rights and uh, labor's rights and just, just you know, completely foreign ideas at the time she knew what she wanted in a man she knew what she wanted for the country she did not know what she wanted for dinner that night <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys just a great joke out there i'm sorry there to our go. female listeners just know i love all of you um but uh yeah not an attractive woman so uh miss goldman uh she's the first lady of anarchism now she's actually speaking at a meeting that is attended by our boy egon 
Sh- uh, Liam, sorry, Leon Shulgush. Did you just say almost Egon? Yeah, I literally made him. We went <laughs> Ghostbusters for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> this week's story of American Loser is three scientists from NYU. Get it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's what Leon is starting to do a lot of the readings on this and, and specific readings to uh, our, our uh, lady here, Emma, Emma Goldman. And uh, actually, go, uh, it's believed that he's attended some of her speeches and then approached her after the speech to he did try to get in with the in crowd kind yeah. of a thing did you get a did you get a load of this one part of the story too is that uh jonathan uh you're a smooth dude man okay you are you're a smooth dude <laughs> okay um but uh you know when you meet somebody and you this happens to me a lot with comedy but it's happened to me a lot my whole life is that i, I tend to give people time that i shouldn't give them and then you realize you you've invited them in now, and they they live here pretty yeah. much. You know, so. <laughs> Your gut instinct was to run away, yeah. and well, I'll give him the benefit. You of did the this doubt. to yourself, man. So yeah. this guy, uh, uh, yeah, Leon Sholgosh, he uh, he comes up to Miss uh, Emma Goodman. He just goes, uh, he goes, I love your speeches. I love everything about anarchy. Could you recommend some books on anarchy to me? And she goes, Of course. I'm so happy to help spread the movement. And then he starts hanging out a little too much. And she actually uh, even explains to a couple of her cohorts, if you will, within the anarchy movement. Uh, one thing I do want to mention with her, I do have to, to say this. She is actually against violence. Okay, so I'll give her credit. But here's the thing where she goes, But I understand people that feel moved to violence. And it's like, yeah, well, you're uh, way, way to way to ride the rail on that one. Right, you know? right, right. I'm against violence. Let me just come out publicly and say I'm against violence. But if somebody decided that they were going to be take on, yeah, a I'm against act, violence. Uh, now, all the, the 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 rough dudes that I'm inspiring, yeah, they can be into violence. But personally, me as a woman, I'm not into violence. <laughs> so, um, but she gets creeped out because Shulgush is like following her around pretty much, and it's a. Uh, He's like showing up places. By the way, uh, I don't know if you picked up on this little uh, uh, bit of information here, LP, but he was going by the name of uh, Fred Nyman. Yeah, he he had an alias. Yeah. Uh, now, Jonathan, your DJ name was what again? Uh, I well, to DJ Red, and uh, another air name was Johnny P. Johnny P. So yeah. then there's a uh, big Kahuna behind the big table Kahuna. there, and then there's I'm, I'm KP Burke, but uh, it's Kevin Patrick. That's yeah. the real name. And then uh, my my dad's name is Dad. So see, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I mean, oh, that's funny. I call him something different. <laughs> see, you could use the alias of Johnny P. You you can't go up to someone and be like, oh yeah, my name's Big Kahuna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't fit that description. <laughs> Well, it's, um, yeah, I don't think I could go up to somebody and say, hi, I'm dad. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Where have you been for 18 years? <laughs> yeah, now without answering some questions from yeah, mom. Yeah. So, um, so uh, yeah, now Sholgush, going by Fred Nyman at the time, uh, starts kind of creeping Miss uh, Goodman out. Uh, and then he disappears all of a sudden, right? Because uh, he's like following Miss Goodman around. He's like, I just love reading your work. I just love your work. All right. Now, what have I always said, guys? It's wrong to stalk women. Unless they're Al McPherson, okay? <laughs> That's, right. That's the running rule here. <laughs> and then you're in competition with him. And you're stalking. <laughs> so uh, after uh, uh, he disappears, is it stalking or fandom? It's a. Well, I would I would say fandom. Okay. She would say stalking. I mean, considering <laughs> I'm considering the assassination was at the first Comic Con. It's definitely fan stalking. You're not <laughs> Without giving away too too much of the uh, the the final act of uh, the story here, uh, he goes ahead and he moves to Buffalo. Okay? Listen, Listen, we all know this Pulp Fiction ending, okay? <laughs> I'm just building it up. I found it interesting, too, Kev, that when uh, he, when Leon uh, Chalgosh starts going, uh, trying to 
palsy rousy around and with uh, Emmy Goldman and uh, the rest of her crowd. Um, he's like very vocal as to, you know, I want to, I want to do something. I want to do something drastic. Uh, he, you know, even, even the anarchists were saying like, this guy's really out there. He's beyond, he's, he's that fringe that you were speaking of earlier. And, uh, Emma Goldman sends, um, notification to some of the other anarchists that this guy keep your eye on him because i think he's a he's a spy that he's they really he was not a spy yeah. he's not truly an anarchist but he's you know from the government trying to weasel into our our organization if you will because he's he's always asking about what's the names of other anarchists and how do i go about it and he's he's trying to like gather information and they're not sure which side this guy is really on? No, he was a he was a true believer. Okay, he uh, like you said that loner of a guy, uh, not much going on. He disappears uh, from the uh, Midwest area, and he now resurfaces over in Buffalo. Things are going good when you relocate to Buffalo. <laughs> All right, but uh, just ask Jim Kelly. Uh, I like to make NFL jokes because there's so many of fans of the show that just aren't football fans, so they're like, I don't understand what the fuck he means, but. Um, <laughs> So uh, now he decides on September 3rd, he's staying in a boarding house out in Buffalo. And he's, like you said, dad, a loner. And he's up there reading this anarchist literature nonstop. There's no Netflix. There's no uh, <laughs> That's right. there's, there's no Tinder app to go on and try to meet some nice woman. He's just by himself reading this literature, telling him, like, you're a victim. Everything's bad. You need to, you know, the system's rigged against you. You're, you know, uh, you have to do something. Oh, he was the first fuck boy. Okay. Very close. <laughs> okay. Very close. So now... Uh, now, he decides there's only one way to restore economic justice in America, and it's obvious. What should he do, Kahuna? Should he run for local office? No, of course. That's... Should he get involved in politics? Should he start supporting a candidate who Absolutely believes in the platform? Not. No. You no. Have to... There's only one way to get out of this, Jonathan. You have to kill the president. Oh. So. Yeah, let me just back you up here, too, though, because the year before he um, goes off to Buffalo to meet his uh, eventual fate, if you will, <laughs> um, there's an anarchist, and it just happens to be our Jersey connection for this episode. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> That's my Why? favorite part of the episode. <laughs> the Jersey tie-in? Yeah. yeah. Whether they're shoehorned or not. Yeah. <laughs> I do not know this connection, so I'm excited. Oh, all right. Um, he reads of uh, an anarchist that is pretty famous, and the year before, there's a guy by the name of... Bon Jovi. <laughs> uh, he is of Italian heritage, though. <laughs> Giottano Bresci. Now, Giottano Bresci is... It's, it's Gaetano, by the way, just saying. Was it? Yeah. Oh, no, it, it, it's, uh, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce that first name, Gaetano. Gaetano? Yeah, because uh, uh, I'm going to go hang out with a guy named Gaetano after this. That's how I know. It's Cianci's uh, brother-in-law. <laughs> oh, okay. Gaetano Bresci. Um is uh, born in Italy, is uh, a silk weaver from the, the Tuscany area. Ugh, they and, always are. You know, there's, <laughs> um, there's many small groups forming in that area, workers' groups that are forming against the injustice that they're suffering in Italy. This guy decides that um, Bresci now decides he's going to leave Italy and come to the United States. And where does he land, Jonathan? New Jersey. Yeah, but where in New Jersey? Oh, no. Uh, he goes to DJs in Belmont. <laughs> <laughs> B-E-L-M-A-R. <laughs> oh, actually, he's arrested in, in Italy because of the uh, organizations and various demonstrations that he took part in that were 
definitely getting, how would you say politely, unruly that, you know, they're calling in the cops and they're bashing heads and everything else. Now, but, I don't believe uh, in violence, but if others do it, it's all, it's yeah. okay. He's arrested. He served time in, in prison in Italy. Upon his release, he comes to the United States and he finds work and a wife in our own Hoboken, Hoboken. New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> wow. There you go. Which, right. if you remember, by the way, there's a Hoboken's a weird place back there because it is like a working class community. But also, uh, as we covered in our episode on the Hindenburg, city. that uh, there's a guy uh, who was in playing around with balloons. That the, the first like recorded balloon flight in uh, United in the, yeah right. happens in New Jersey where it's just a guy. It was a tethered balloon. Kahuna's looking at me like, no way! You were the sound engineer on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A tethered a tethered flight uh, in somebody's farm in uh, in Hoboken, New Jersey. But anyhow, he uh, arrives in Hoboken, finds a wife, finds a work, and then shortly after his marriage. Now this guy Brushy is married in 1897. He moves to Patterson, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Patterson, New Jersey gets the time is like world class. Well, he was a silk, silk weaver in, it, in right? Italy. Okay, silk that production. makes sense. There's a huge Italian uh, population within Patterson, a large com- Italian community. Um, he uh, gets together with some other uh, Italian uh, buddies, and they start um, printing this uh, uh, Italian uh, newspaper that has, you know. Anarchy or workers' rights leanings type of a thing. Breshi is the Forget About It Gazette, correct? Is yeah. That the <laughs> Breshi is uh, one of the major contributors of its of the copy of the newspaper. So this guy is is a writer at, as well. And then Breshi hears about this major strike back home in Italy, where like ninety people are killed in this uh, workers' demonstration, and they're killed by the the. Uh, the police force. Italy's still a monarchy at the time, by right. the way, right? Okay. So Italy is still a monarchy, all right? And then um, this this demonstration takes place. Ninety people are killed by the by the law enforcement, if you will, and then the king of uh, Italy, Umberto, congratulates or um, just tells the police, nice job, good job, you know, you're able to suppress these uh, illegal worker strikes and everything else. Bresci, when he finds out about that, demands his money back from the newspaper. He was a major financial supporter of the newspaper. He takes his money back he, uh, on the loan that he gave the newspaper, funds himself to go back over to Italy, buys a, a 32 caliber revolver and um, at this big sports demonstration, if you will, uh, sporting event, he walks up to the uh, king of Italy and fires a couple of rounds into the king and kills him instantly. What, uh, by the way, do you guys know what killing a king is called? There's a word for it. I don't. Regicide. Huh? Yeah, that's what you kill a, yeah, Okay. Killing of the regent. So. Yeah, so for, for um, our boy uh, Jalgosh, that's a, that's a game changer. That's a life-changing experience for him that he learned of uh, the European crime that changed his life. Now, that was in July of 1900, so we're... A year before him, him coming uh, and meeting his his final fate in in Buffalo. Oh boy! Um, but he's shot dead by uh, Bresci, and Bresci news of that makes uh, the whole uh, anarchy uh, world like. All around it, like they're like it's a game changer. People are for, paying attention. Yeah, to they're, they're paying attention. It, it was the Russian. And it Revolution wasn't just before, that one yeah. single incident either. I mean, there was 
anarchists that were killing and bombings and everything else. So that was, and this is worldwide, but for uh, Chalgosh, for our boy Leon, that was like inspiration. And here's a guy that took it upon himself because it was a uh, almost like a death pact that he knew that when he was killed the king, he was going to die. But he, he took that on as a martyrdom kind of a thing for the cause kind of a thing. I'm going to kill the king. You guys might kill me, but I got your king. Oh, so it's a king for a pawn, yeah, king, for, <laughs> king for a pawn kind of a thing. Um, but uh, Chalgosh is uh, mesmerized by this. It's a it's a game changer for him to the point where he goes to Buffalo and buys the exact same model yep. revolver. <laughs> oh, so he that, idolized that, that, Yeah, guy. so you want to call it a copycat, yeah. a copycat killing or whatever, but, you know, he, right down to the make and model of the revolver, the thirty-two revolver that uh, was it in, he uh, eventually uses. Ivor or Ivor Johnson revolver, I think. Yes, it's, it it's up on the wall. I, I was trying to figure out because there's an artist known as uh, Bonnie Vore or Bonnie Vare. I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's it's a weird thing. This, it's the uh, the the Johnson revolver, as it were. So, Ivor Johnson, re- Ivor Johnson revolver. Thirty-two yeah. cal, not a big bullet, by the no. way. That, that no. comes into play here a little bit. Um, we're going to take uh, in classic uh, Tarantino format. We're now going to go into the third act. So we've set up this collision course between uh, President McKinley who is uh, just won re-election, mind you, okay? He wins uh, re-election. Popular guy, and uh, Kahuna's brought up a good picture of him. Handsome guy, too, okay? Young young guy, energetic We're talking guy. McKinley now. McKinley, right? yeah. 58 <laughs> years old at the time of uh, this incident, so... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I hope I apologize for clearing my throat on the episode, guys. Uh, between that and all the goddamn motorcycles I've been driving by the studio today, we're just going to have to deal. But um, I thought this was uh, worth mentioning here. There's a gentleman by the name of... Uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, LP, but George B. Cortellio is what I'm going to call him. Uh, I got Cortellio. 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 We'll right. call him Cortellio. I like that. He is a uh, Republican from New York City uh, that was a member of the Grover Cleveland administration, which is interesting since, as you recall, Grover Cleveland was a Democrat. Okay. But he was a, uh, a mugwump, they would call him. So uh, I thought it was worth a mentioning. A Democrat. Yeah, a supporting mugwump. a Republican. Yeah, conservative Democrats. So, um, which is, you know, it, it's an interesting thing for the time, too. There were so many Republicans that admired Grover Cleveland that a guy like uh, Cordelou would go ahead and just work for him. So, uh, this is how useful Cordelou is, by the way. He is recommended by Grover Cleveland, a Democrat, to serve as McKinley's personal secretary, a Republican, coming into office. Right. So, he well, Cordelou was definitely an up and comer, too, because he started out in the Postal Service. And then became like the uh, number one guy, the chief clerk to um, the postmaster general. And then the postmaster general recommends him to Cleveland. Cleveland hires him as his chief clerk. And then under Cleveland's recommendation, McKinley hires him as his personal secretary. So he's a good gig. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's making some upward mobility there. Yeah, he's got some friends. We'll put it that way, man. But uh, that's a decent job, right, John? I would say that uh, to be the personal secretary to the president of the United States of America. Uh, depends who the president is. <laughs> <laughs> well played on that. Well, it's always like uh, what's his name from? Uh, I-, I love the show Veep. I was such a big fan of that uh, cousin. That's, Kelly that's exactly guy. what I was thinking about. Or, like right. if she anything just bullies. Like that. Yeah, she just bullies him around the entire time. Yeah, it's so, like I don't want to do it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Uh, you tell your father. Well, I, I work in government, father, uh, and his job is to get like snack packs yeah. for her. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, Cordelou is a, a interesting guy. One thing he's very nervous about: he does not like these anarchists. Okay, he does not like them uh, at all. Um, he's a little bit thrown off by him, and he's trying to figure out ways to 
there's a problem we're having. There's waves of immigrants coming in here that don't necessarily have an allegiance to the United States. That it's uh, they're almost economic uh, migrants rather than uh, well, let's come to America because it seems like they're doing good things over You're there. You're poor and starving, huddled masses, kind of a thing that right. uh, are coming onto our shores and. Again, worldwide. I mean, you're killing kings, you're killing political uh, leaders and everything else. And now we've got all these uh, dirty immigrants coming over here and they're going to be polluting our waters. That, uh, um, right. And again, watch out for that. 40 years before this, the entire country went to war with itself. So right. the city-states, the Greek-like city-states of all the, uh, the, 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 you know, the literally little countries. I, I rip all my ideas from Colin Quinn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> these little city-states, you know, countries in of themselves, the Carolinas, one of, they have nothing in common with Connecticut. But um, So we're trying to get the country together here. And uh, one big thing you can do is that uh, Coeur d'Alu is awesome this way. Uh, he is in charge of planning a lot of the president's trips. He makes sure that McKinley is the first president to make it out to the very far west. Okay, so out to California, out to um, the, the Seattle—not uh, necessarily Seattle, but the Washington Territory. You know what I mean? Because uh, I don't think it was called—it was all the uh, the Washington, Oregon were kind of one giant state for a while. But uh, he makes it out there, and he is greeted with crowds that are just like, "Holy shit!" The president, because what's the the line in uh, that the the emperor uh, the sun rises and sets on the emperor in Japan? I think it was. Uh, it's the same kind of vibe here where they're like, wait a minute, the guy from the the, the capital is here yeah. out in the, the far, far west? Man, that's yeah, pretty McKinley, cool. McKinley is definitely riding a, a popularity uh, high. His his percentage oh, he's, he's points crushing are it. up there. Yeah. And he's for, for a guy it. who barely got elected the first go around when he won his reelection against William Jennings Ryan, he crushed him. And now he's coming to this Pan American exposition in Buffalo, which is like their world's fair to tout how great – United States is and everything else, and he actually has a speech uh, on September the fifth. I don't know if you got into that. Oh, I, but, I do. Yeah. But, well, uh, just right before that, too, uh, his wife falls very ill in uh, on this trip out west. His wife's name was uh, Ida. Uh, I mean, we don't. Do you ever have you met somebody named Ida? Um, I don't think so. That name went away. That's not. That yeah, name's not popping up on uh, Bumble. Uh, or, it's just uh, that song, right? Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> or that. So. Um, Weak, Larry. Weak. Well, dad jokes from a dad. That's right. Um, so anyway, I thought uh, it was worth mentioning that because uh, this actually slows some things down. His wife has to recoup in uh, uh, California, and she was a little bit unnerved. So upon his arrival at this World's Expo, I don't know if you got to this LP. Uh, normally, he and I do the research together, but I was on the road all week and doing gigs, so I, we couldn't really talk as I was writing it. But. Um, Anyway, Toast of the Town president here um, is going to show up, and as he's pulling into town, there's a cannon set up at this expo that's going to fire. Uh, do you know the story or no? No, I don't. So there's a cannon that's uh, set to go off to announce the arrival of uh, President McKinley, and uh, the cannon misfires, okay? Uh, and there's a little explosion, and as McKinley's getting off the train, people start screaming, anarchists! Anar they thought something was... A bombing, were, yeah. That's how nervous they were, that they're like, we can't have anything nice... Because the anarchists are going to ruin everything. Right. Okay. So, I would say it's probably similar to today's times that you, know, you, you have car you have backfire. A you, no, you have a major event. Let's say you're at the Thanksgiving Macy's Day's Parade and, mm. you know, you got police walking around, you got uh, bomb sniffing dogs, you got helicopters, you got snipers up on the, on the high points and stuff and – yeah, it's a big celebration, but at the same time, this big is a, this is a great opportunity for somebody to set off a bomb, yeah. whether it's a 
uh, you know, a homemade pressure cooker bomb in the Boston Marathon or whether, you know, but it, all of that. Right? Or, or even the, the you know. cannon being targeted. Right. Yeah. Well said. Now, uh, the, the other thing that always makes me laugh, too, there's a South Park episode from the first season that uh, I remember as a kid. Just You're dating yourself. Losing my mind laughing at this. But it was uh, Kathy Lee Gifford was coming to town and Mr. Garrison was hell-bent on killing her. <laughs> so he, li- he literally shows up. Uh, Officer Bar Brady, the cop in town, is telling him, he's like, oh, uh, you know, go over here. Uh, uh, hey, no, you can't bring cameras in here. Like, like shake it. And Garrison shows up with a sniper rifle. And he goes, uh, Officer Bar Brady, where can I get a good shot at uh, Kathy Lee Gifford? And he goes, uh, the book depository might be a nice spot. <laughs> <laughs> and so literally sends him to the book. Depo- he goes, oh, OK, thank you, officer. And walks away. And then two seconds later, a guy comes up with a camera. And he goes, ha, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's that kind of a vibe here. Uh, now, this appearance at the uh, expo, uh, he's just won re-election. This is kind of a victory lap, like you were saying, LP. Like, his wife falls almost deathly ill in California, so she's recouping. He decides he's going to bring her out to Buffalo. He gets off the train, a cannon fires, and they're thinking it's crazy. But McKinley don't care, man. He's a man of the people. He needs he needs the handshakes, Jonathan. He needs the right. people. Oh, full circle. Back to your own George, uh, George Cordelou, too, advises him not to go. Doesn't want him to go on this trip at all, and then specifically pays more attention is itinerary they think it's a great opportunity for an assassin by the way assassination is not common around this time frame too uh before this all you had was lincoln which was an anomaly they thought and then james a garfield but they were like holy shit another anomaly and then <laughs> yeah, the king of italy the year yeah. prior yeah well assassins, assassins yeah, global yes assassination was more of a uh, foreign thing it, you know that's we're, we're above assassinations here in the united states but not so much but um but Cordelou advises him not to go to the to the expo. But McKinley loves the the limelight, and there's a pyrotechnic display at the expo that literally lights up in fireworks that says "Greetings, President McKinley, Chief right. of our Nation and our Empire." Yeah, his two day visit um, to the expo is setting all kinds of uh, record crowds, and uh, McKinley gave a speech. Um, on September the fifth, that had one hundred sixteen thousand people in attendance. Some you're talking, you're, you're filling the hall that's, with one hundred again. That's 000. Springsteen Giant Stadium numbers. Okay, yeah, he's I doing mean, pretty good here. Oh, he has the handshake. I can't. Method, I so can't even imagine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine what the what the venue was to, to hold that amount of people. And we're we're talking, you know, back in the day where you're not. You no air the, conditioning. The public, yeah, no yeah. air conditioning. Well, the sweltering heat, because you're in Buffalo, which is not known for its heat, but we're here in the beginning of September, and they, they literally stated that it was the hottest friggin' day of the year. And uh, well, it is a cool-looking building, right? Cahoon just brought up a picture of the Temple of Music uh, in 1901. I mean, it which is, was part of the exposition. The yes. Temple of Music wasn't well, a... Only up for like a few years, too. Yeah, like they now, were just built to show off. Right. Yeah, the day it's kind of like the World's Fair over in, in Flushing, right? They were, yeah. Back in New York days. So the only thing <laughs> they still have is, some of that up. <laughs> they were just <laughs> like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. Yeah, the <laughs> only thing left is a big friggin' globe that's uh, sitting in the middle. Oh, I thought that was just uh, a scene from Men in Black. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. They're actually well, restoring that, right? now are they yeah they're gonna turn it into like a really cool park attraction okay i love that but anyway they say that at least well uh this this place this temple of music the night before when uh you know our, our boy mckinley is making his big speech to 116,000 people um the night before the temple of music is the site of uh john philip Sousa, the grand the greatest american uh composer, composer. 
you know, who does all these amazing marches and stuff like that. Stars and stripes forever. Yeah, he's playing these badass marches to uh, inspire a sense of nationalism. Uh, there's a giant thing saying, uh, McKinley, our president and our emperor, if you will. And uh, <laughs> Shulgas is showing up like, hey, uh, is there a symbol around here I can just shoot? <laughs> anybody, anybody know who's running this place? And they're like, oh, well, you know, McKinley's God. So. <laughs> Anyway, uh, again, sorry for clearing my throat, guys. Uh, it's been a long week. But uh, the very affable President McKinley insists, all right, on September 6th that he will make his way to the Temple of Music uh, for a meet and greet. Now, Cordelou uh, does not want this to happen. He doesn't want the trip to happen in general, but he specifically tries to cancel this appearance twice. And both times McKinley goes, nah, I got to go. Got to see my people, Jonathan. Got to shake some hand. Got to pound the flesh. <laughs> Press the flesh. So he insists on making his way through the crowd. Now, around 4 p.m. during the sweltering heat of the day, Shulgash makes his way to the president. Okay. Now, like we said in the, the beginning part of the episode here, when he's shaking people's hands, he grabs your hand and pulls you past him. So, hey, how are you? Hey, uh, you know, damn glad to meet you. Damn glad to meet you. Animal house right. style. So um, anyway, uh, he goes to reach for a hand around 4 p.m. And it's, uh, it's our boy, uh, Leon Shulgash. And uh, there is no hand. There is a white handkerchief. And underneath it is a 32 caliber Johnson revolver, just like uh, what you mentioned about. Uh, now, keep this picture up here for a second because uh, there's a picture you just brought up that's important that I want to point something out. And what a cool little uh, side note to this story. Yep. But unfortunately, it's the place is loud and boisterous. And just as, uh, you know, Shulgash gets up to him, he fires two shots into the stomach of President McKinley. And McKinley was, he again, a very popular guy at the time. People were lining up for hours to come see him. The fact that he was at this fair was exciting. All right, that was a celebrity. And I think as the line was forming to shake hands with the president, there was a, a lot of increased security. It wasn't like, you know, the president's insisting that we go and there's nothing really going to be done about the security. But they had um, Buffalo police. They had... Um, federal agents, if you will, that were to be protecting the president. They had army troops that you had to go through two lines of, of army troops. And these guys were all instructed to look for anybody that might look suspicious, whatever that means, right? You know, we can't have profiling, of course, yeah. but, <laughs> you know, as they're coming past all these security people, past us, two lines of uh, army personnel, and then finally up onto the thing. Now, they were instructed that make sure that we can see everybody's hands, but it was because it was such a sweltering hot day. And there's no – this is the, before the days of air conditioning. A lot of people were holding handkerchiefs in their hands so they could wipe the wipe the perspiration or the sweat from their brow kind of a thing. And that's what uh, Chalgosh had used to cover up the thirty two caliber re revolver with this handkerchief. So he's holding the gun in his hand. He's got this handkerchief over his hand. But I guess visually it looked like it was just a handkerchief that he was going to be wiping sweat with. But – comes up to the president and fires two off into his stomach. Now he's about to fire a third shot, and literally the guys in this photo here, this drawing, this depiction of uh, the event, yep. um, there's a guy, the, the gentleman that's reaching for Shulgash's uh, shoulder, if you will. By the way, that's a tough thing to say. Shulgash shoulder. Shulgash shoulder. There it is. Um, as he's about to fire the third shot, a guy literally by the name Big Jim Parker, all right, African-American man who was standing in line to meet the president all day, 
Before Shalgash can fire the third shot, Big Jim Parker decks him in the fucking face. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big Jim was just that. He was like a six foot He's a six. pool shooting son of a gun. <laughs> so not even the, the Secret Service or, no. or anything like no. that? Well, there's no, technically there's no Secret Service yet at this time. It exists. It's not assigned to protecting the president. Okay. So. Hello and welcome to this episode of America's Badass. Yeah. 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 Big Jim Parker um, knocks him. Now, here's what's great. He decks him in the face. Now, Big Jim Parker, all the detectives assigned to protect him, and a bunch of the mil- the army, you know, troops that are in charge of prote- all pounce on this guy and start beating the ever loving shit out of Shulgash. <laughs> yeah. Which, if you can picture a Polish immigrant being beaten up, it probably sounds like Swedish chef getting roughed up in the corner. A burden to not in the face of Yeah, and I actually took McKinley. To uh, call off the, the yes. beating that they That's, were putting on this guy. What a, what a calm guy, by the way. He gets shot twice in the stomach. They sit him down in a chair, and then he orders the men to stop beating the shit out of him. He wishes, Meanwhile, you know, blood's pouring out of the out of the guy's stomach. Yeah, all, ruins his vest that he has. Um, and his words, this actually stuck out to me. Uh, he's telling, is he seeing the blood coming out of his, uh, it, you know, pouring out of his stomach? He looks over to the guys after ordering his own men to stop beating the shit out of his, you know, would-be assassin. He goes, uh, my wife, my wife, be careful how you tell her because she was kind of a nervous wreck and she was just recovering from an illness. And so that's what this guy's, you literally get shot. That That's what, I mean, people miss this part of it. Yeah, that uh, was his instructions to Cordelude. Yeah. When you tell your, tell my wife, be careful. Tell her gently. Like, like, yeah. I, I, I don't want her getting too upset by the fact that I just got shot. Please, he's more concerned with his wife's taking of the news rather than the fact that the man just got shot like that's his wife and the (coughs) freaking assassin like he's like i don't don't beat the shit out of him and tell my wife well you know it doesn't doesn't say how long it went for he could have let that go for a little bit (laughs) all (laughs) right that's enough (laughs) right 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 Uh, but be like okay everybody one more and then stop big jim um the guy who punched out uh child gosh he was a uh, like a food service kind of employee at the exposition. Was just recently fired, so he just lost his job. I was standing on the line and just happened to be the guy behind Chalgosh in this long, long line of people waiting to shake the hand of the president. But he spun him around, popped him. Some say the face, some say the neck, but he was also able to block the uh, revolver from firing a, a third shot. So, and then he became kind of a, a national celebrity too at the same time but very modest guy. Um, I was trying to look him up. It's kind of crazy. After that and maybe a few more years of celebrity, he kind of just walked off into the sunset. Yeah. No one knows what happened right. to him. They don't even know when he died. Just like there. Herschel Walker. Yep. <laughs> um, now, the loser for this episode is clearly Leon Shulgash, which we're going to get to his final moments here in a second. But President McKinley, I, I came in thinking he was a, a nobody president because he's he's largely a footnote in history. We'll say why because he gets a little bit overshadowed, um, which we'll explain. However, uh, I'm assuming by the VP. Uh, yes, good good story. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> pardon me on that one. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, McKinley is rushed to a local hospital after being shot in the stomach twice at this uh, Pan American Exposition, and. Uh, he needs to be rushed into surgery immediately. The only qualified doctor at this particular hospital in Buffalo that can see the president. Now, keep in mind, this is a big deal, okay? The president is, needs life-saving surgery. The only doctor available is a gynecologist. 
So, yeah. Uh, I don't know nothing about birthing no yeah. babies. So a, a gynecologist goes into surgery to save the president of the United States. Mr. President, I got great news. Your vagina looks fantastic. <laughs> Acute. But, Acute. but in your stomach, there's two bullets. <laughs> um so, yeah, unfortunately, he gets uh, uh, brought in. Now, the surgery is successful. They think he's going to recover. All right. The nation is at ease for a couple of days here. Right. There's, a, there's immediate emergency surgery. They yes. were able to remove one of the bullets. Yeah. Now, don't give away the name of one of the guys who assures everyone that he's going to be okay, because I want that to be the last no. line of the episode. But um, the surgery uh, is successful. They suture the uh, the wounds closed. They remove the bullet. One bullet passed right through him. Uh, and the belief is that he's going to be okay. Uh, he starts to recover. But unfortunately, gangrene, uh, not the Jets, actual gangrene, um, starts to form on the inner lining of his stomach. And uh, after a couple of bouts with, uh, you know, it, it was a blood disease at that point, you know what I mean? And he's losing consciousness. He's not doing really good. He starts to uh, sink away. And at uh, 2.15, with his wife Ida by his side on September 14th of 1901, uh, the America loses President McKinley. So... Shalgush uh, is being beaten and interrogated by the police, and he has no remorse. He completely admits to it. He goes, "I've done my duty for my anarchist cause." Blah blah blah. And um, you know, I, I'm doing this. Literally, he goes, "I'm doing this for my friends over at the anarchy movement." Meanwhile, anarchy's like, "We don't even know this fucking guy." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they want nothing to do with him uh, because of this you know uptick in, in anarchy, and you've now killed a president. Um, People like Emma Goodman and other high-ranking anarchists are getting rounded up. So Shulgush is, uh, again, one of the fringe guys is getting all these people jail time. Emma Goodman got out eventually. Uh, but um, Yeah, I think in Shulgush's interrogation by the police, he made mention of Emma Goodman and how he was inspired by some of her writings and everything else. Well, mm -hmm. that's all they needed to hear. So let's round up anybody and everybody that we can possibly connect to this yeah. guy. Again, are you not going to round her up? You've been looking for a re, you know, right. any sort of a cause, and this right. is about as good as they get. So, um, But uh, anyway, I thought uh, one more thing that's important for us to mention here is that uh, this leads to uh, a larger lack of sympathy for anarchists. Okay, so now anarchists are funny because they're like, they don't, there shouldn't be any government. But then they're like, then the government comes in and violates their civil liberties. And they were like, hey, you can't do that to, oh. <laughs> Wait, I got free speech here. Yeah. The, like, oh, but, but, but the government is, to, who are we going to complain to? The government is taking, you know, they're taking you down. It's because you're anti government. It's very weird. It's, uh, the, the, the movement never took off like they wanted it to. Um, and it, this is a huge crushing blow to them. So, uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, like we said, uh, FBI is getting involved a little bit to what the early – Well, the yeah. Secret Service, not really the FBI. Just Well, Secret Service is actually at the time a Department of the Treasury. So right. they're in charge of counterfeit bills and stuff like that. They then, after this incident, get placed in charge of uh, the security of the President of the United States because the Secret Service comes around at the start of uh, Ulysses Grant. So um, anyway – But uh, it's now, it's now uh, upon the uh, death of McKinley – well, the assassination of McKinley. Now they're they're charged with protecting the president. Um, you know, twenty four seven, three sixty five. Uh, exactly true. Now, so uh, when McKinley dies, about six weeks later, um, Shulgush actually gets the electric chair. All right, he gets the electric chair in uh, New York. I couldn't confirm what chair it was. But I want to say it was like uh, old Sparky from one of our earlier episodes about the electric chairs that I thought was uh, one of our best ones. I think it was old Sparky that potentially is the one that killed him. But uh, there was a reenactment of his uh, 
execution, well, execution. If you will, because yeah. people wanted to see it because they wanted closure because everybody hated Shalgash at this point. So, well, actually, there's another Jersey connection uh, with that. I mean, while McKinley was still trying to recover from his uh, from his wounds, uh, our our buddy Thomas Alva Edison comes in from New Jersey with uh, this newfangled X-ray machine, and they attempt to find the the second bullet. Uh, one of his lead doctors in his supposed uh, recovery attempt. Uh, is like large and in charge and really an arrogant SOB that every everybody else's opinion sucks. This is where it is. You know, the bullet has to be on the ones on one side of his spine uh, and it only allows them to check out part of the body. The x-ray machine proves faulty because they left one of the key parts to the x-ray machine back home in New <laughs> Jersey and you know, things didn't go well. Um but Did you bring uh, the X-ray machine. You told me to bring sandwiches. Yeah, no, yeah. no. I brought sandwiches. You bring. Now we have a lot of sandwiches and no X-rays. But then Edison Edison gets involved again with the uh, electrocution. Not so much in the electric chair, but they he films the actual yep. electrocution. <laughs> um, but it's real poor quality, so they reenact it. Um, <laughs> it's like take two on the electrocution of Is there somewhere Shalgush. I can plug the camera into? Do you think we can plug it into Shalgush? I mean, he's going to be <laughs> juiced right. up. So, um, to wrap up here on a Sunday, because we got Giants to watch. Um, I just kind of found out something kind of wild. So, the me. place where he was executed, Leon... Go was a place called uh, Auburn Correctional Facility, which is still open, correct. by the way. Correct. But it was the site of the first electric chair electric uh, execution in 1890. Wait, that's the that would mean that's the guy that we talked about who uh, they cooked him alive. Yeah, that's from that episode. I got to confirm that one, but that's interesting. Um, good catch, Coons. No problem. Um, yeah. So that same prison you were just talking about, once Shalgash was executed, which he, he literally went to his uh, death thinking he was going to be a hero. Um, he was mentally ill, a couple of nervous breakdowns in his past, too, that we should have covered. But um, when they uh, they kill him, uh, they can make a martyr out of anybody, right, Jonathan? You've seen yeah. that before? Like, yeah. Remember when we killed Bin Laden? That boy went right over the side of the boat. Okay, We didn't want any chance for martyrdom for him. And for the most part, it didn't happen. All right, There's no gravesite for them to visit and try to honor him. So... Same thing they did with uh, Leon Shulgash here. They go ahead and hooked it up so that uh, they they execute him. Then they burn his ashes. uh, And then they take the ashes and then burn them with sulfuric acid. Oh, wow. Yeah, they they electrocute him, put mm -hmm. him in a coffin, and then pour pour sulfuric acid into the coffin. So there's like nothing left. After 24 hours, there was nothing left. Yeah, it's like season one of Breaking Bad when the tub comes through the wall. Yeah. but uh, they get rid of it, so they take the, the whatever possible remains of him are there, and they bury it in the prison at the correctional facility. So he's buried somewhere on prison property. And you'll never know about it. And they did that to suppress him so that none of the anarchist sympathists, uh, sympathizers, I should say, I just invented a word, um, could get on board with him and try to turn him into a martyr. So uh, Shulgash's death is, uh, I mean, what a success here. The American empire falls. The nation collapses. Shulgash gets his dream anarchist utopia. <laughs> nope. Instead, he finds that the nation viewed McKinley as a fallen hero. And, uh, you know, the six weeks, uh, his last six weeks on Earth, uh, they start to tell him, like, yeah, everybody's rallying around him. And by the way, uh, if you really wanted to fuck up the United States, you probably shouldn't have went and done what you did. Okay? Because uh, 
Chris, who you got instead? I'm excited, but this is almost like a uh, an origin tale of uh, <laughs> possibly the greatest American who ever lived. Uh, our personal favorite American. Our boy. Yeah, our boy, Cahoons. Um, so, Because uh, he's in this photo, too, I think. Uh, no, I don't think he's is there with him. No, I don't no, think he was. No. With, he was. Uh, oh, no. He Looks was campaigning. Like so we haven't said his name yet. Mustache. So I'm, I'm excited. I think we know who this is. Well, let me let me just preface this real quickly. This is my favorite little story about uh, the guy we're about to talk about. So he was such a pain in the ass as the governor of New York and the head of the police commission and the secretary of the navy, all these other positions, that the same guys that effectively ran uh, McKinley for president, you know, the Rockefellers, the big the money Garnier, man. like all the people who wanted him out, the Tammany Hall type people too. They all wanted him out of New York. So they decided, they're like, let's get this guy nominated as vice president. That means he has to go to Washington. We'll get him out of New York. He won't be meddling in our affairs anymore because vice president was a known, was like a nothing position. So in title only. And uh, they said, and it might help out McKinley for getting reelected. This guy is a war hero. Yeah, he's a very popular guy from the yep. Spanish-American oh, War. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So if you want to ruin America and your direct action gives us President Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt, <laughs> I don't think it worked out the way you wanted yeah. it to, man. So, so you deserve the title. American a, loser. Uh, yeah, so that's why Leon Shulgash is definitely going to be uh, uh, this week's loser here. But uh, McKinley, sympathetic figure, all right? But uh, I thought this was worth noting. This is the quote I want to go out on. LP, do you have any other notes for uh, the, the show as we're wrapping up? No, it's just that uh, I thought it was interesting, too, that, again, as, as a sign of the times that they were going through following the assassination of McKinley. We now have newly elevated President Theodore Roosevelt. And he initiates, issues a, a pronouncement declaring, when compared to the suppression of anarchy, anarchy, excuse me, when compared with the suppression of anarchy, every other question sinks to insignificance. So, I mean, this is the, the topic of the day. I mean, if mm -hmm. you're killing kings, you're killing presidents, you're blowing up people, you know, there's all kinds of strikes and everything else. So, there's a, a common thread here throughout the, the, uh, throughout the people that uh, this is – our, our major threat against our democracy is this anarchy. Absolutely. And uh, Jonathan, I know we brought you in blind for this one. I'm going to bring you back when you can do a little research because you're a smart guy. <laughs> thank but, you. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you for coming out to the, the show last night. It was a good time over there. Cahoons, uh, any notes on the way out? Because I got I, I got, think I think I think Leon was killed by John Hubert. The state executioner? Yeah. No the state shit. electrician? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm trying to find – like there's – they, I can't find a direct name, but they say he was killed by the state executioner. That's yeah, because that was a legit title. Too. Yeah, that um, was the the official title for it. Well, if you're, I'm just, I was trying. I've been trying. I was spending the past five minutes like looking for it, trying to prove it. If you're going to kill the guy that killed the president, go with the best. I mean, bring him in. You know, whether he's got to uh, cross straight lines or not. But. Uh, I always That's picture that guy, wild. too, uh, the state executioner, just on a date with a woman. And she goes, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I work in government. <laughs> uh, now, Kahuna, real quick, do you have a casting couch for us for uh, Shulgush and uh, McKinley? McKinley, no. Uh, really? Oh, crap. I didn't think of one this episode. To me, Shulgush should be Big Bird. <laughs> <laughs> but, McKinley uh, would make an excellent Muppet. Uh, he absolutely would. Um, but uh, so, all right, we're going to get out of here uh, on this one, guys. Uh, if you like the show, uh, do me a favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. The written reviews help the most. The, the five-star stuff, I love that. It means a lot to us. But when you write a review, too, it helps uh, promulgate us. That's a good word, right? Um, 
in the standings. So when people we're going to name this episode, you know, Leon Shulgush and McKinley. And when people search that, I want loser to be the thing that pops up. So when you leave more reviews for us, it really helps us out. We are moving into uh, a new format, guys. We're going to be launching a little side project, uh, not side project, but a little side business on this soon to help grow the show. So you guys who are listening to this who have been on the ground floor, it means so much to me that you guys help the show out. I love the responses I get. I love the people that are listening to the shows, people that come out and see me do uh, stand-up. KP Burke sucks at Twitter. KP Burke sucks at Instagram. KP Burke on Facebook. American Loser has a Instagram page. Please follow us on that one, guys. Um, here's the quote that uh, I want to go out on. Um, there's a quote about this time period, if you will. So Shulgush is trying to crush the nation and uh, you know get rid of uh, the American way of life, if you will. But uh, here's a quote. This uh, new president is in office. The republic still lives. Uh, the nation felt another leadership, a new leadership, nervous, aggressive, strong. Under the command of a bold young captain, America set sail on the stormy voyage of the 20th century. So uh, if if you could have had, like the idea of you saying President Theodore Roosevelt, there should have just been like a, a, a motorcycle exhaust going off during that because American badass is in office now, man. Uh, America happens in a, literally, uh, everything explodes almost overnight. Uh, so it's my favorite period of history because literally everything happens all at once in a very weird way. We have to thank Leon Shulgush for all this. So, uh, guys, uh, thank you so much for being on the episode, guys. This was a great one. Let's go watch the Giants beat the Redskins. That being said, Kahuna, that was – what do you got, buddy? Oh, no, no, no. I was just – Oh, you're saying goodbye? <laughs> I was just saying goodbye. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, like this motherfucker ruining big, my momentum yeah. again. <laughs> giving that big Kahuna wave there. Hey, yeah, well, Teddy Roosevelt is now the youngest president – uh, of the United States to serve too with uh, oh yeah with his uh, yeah he is uh, he is a badass and uh, eventually we'll do a full episode just on him but this was great guys thank you so yeah, much it's hard for doing to, it hard to paint him as a loser though nope yeah. but, we just changed the title of the show for that one episode yeah, the show American called, badass <laughs> the show's called Teddy Roosevelt after that but um, <laughs> guys that being said again thank you so much for everything this was a great episode that was Leon Shulgush American loser an American the day I was born An American loser the day I was born An American loser the day I was born